Welcome to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Goodbye baseball, a walk-off winner for Mitch Hattiger. Swing, line, drive, this game is over! Goodbye baseball, Mitch Hattiger ties it up here in the bottom of the ninth inning. James Paxton has just thrown a no-hitter. The big lefty is getting mobbed out of the Now, line. here's your host, Gary Hill. Well, welcome back. One final time this season, the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. This is the final one. And yeah, it's, it's taken a week, I know. I've been putting out the final one. Uh, tough to say goodbye to this season. I never enjoy goodbyes. I guess this is just so long until next year then. We will check in every once in a while during the course of the offseason as things happen. But I do just want to say I really appreciate uh, all of you for listening to this thing through the course of the season and the course of the last few seasons. I know the, especially in the second half of this year, not as consistent as it's been in the past. And looking forward to the next year, I'm hoping to get more analysis, more conversation, more of everything in the podcast and looking at a few different scenarios to try and increase both of those, especially dealing with the schedule of the other uh, new duties I had with the Mariners this year. So learning process this year. Uh, we'll make some adjustments going into next year, but I'm always open for your input as well. Gary Hill Jr. Uh, at Gary Hill Jr. on Twitter. And I think you know how to reach me by now. And Gmail as well. Gary Hill PXP at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions, any thoughts, I'm always open to hear uh, your thoughts. And again, I really appreciate you being with us all year long and through the course of the many years as well. So here's what the final podcast will have in store. We'll have kind of the end of the year press conference with Jerry Depoto and Scott Service that will come at the end. Josh Kearns, a fun piece on what exactly happens with Safeco Field when the season comes to an end, and also the year that was, and Dave Niehaus is going to wrap this one up. So, again, thank you for everything. Very much appreciated. Let's get to it with Josh Kearns. Turn out the lights. The party's over. It's a bittersweet time for Mariners players and coaches. Monday bringing another early offseason without a playoff appearance. But it is the start of their first badly needed break in over seven months. Still, while it's vacation time for the players, there's really no break for Safeco Field and dozens of Mariners staffers like Mariners VP of Ballpark Operations, Trevor Gooby, who tells me they've got one heck of an off-season honey-do list. We have events and, and projects that we have to do. If we wait until a week before the season, there's never a way to get it all done. So we have timelines and schedules that we know we need to do, and we just start plugging away and, and try to get it all done before the season starts again at the end of March. I'm fixing a hole where the rain gets in and stops my mind. That includes a couple of big maintenance projects on Safeco Field's retractable roof. Those huge wheels and axles that carry the massive structure are in need of an ongoing overhaul. We've been doing that for about uh, four seasons so far, and we're about halfway done, and that means that we're actually taking the wheels out that make the roof move, and we're going in and we're putting new wheels in with new axles and beefing up uh, the axles so that it's going to last here for the next you know, 40, 50 years. One thing that doesn't last is the paint job. 
And suffice it to say, Safeco Field could keep Sherwin-Williams in business for a long, long time. It's not easy being green. It's, it's pretty massive when you think about how much steel is in this building. Um, and so every year we try to bite off a little bit more and it's almost to the point um, when you get, when you finish it all the way, you have to start again. Um, and so we are, uh, every year we are doing uh, anywhere from 200,000 to 800,000 worth of steel painting. If you can, it's an amazing amount of painting that we're doing. And uh, it's, again, as soon as the season ends until opening day, we'll have painters out here working on the steel. Well, the ballpark staff is bringing in all sorts of supplies and helpers to spruce up Safeco Field. Downstairs in the clubhouse, veteran clubhouse manager Ryan Stiles and his crew will be busy over the next couple of weeks packing up for the players and shipping out all of their personal stuff. Pack it up. Throw it away. We set it up pretty simple. We have, we have three areas. We, uh, we, have a, we basically have an area for spring training, and we have an area that, um, for the items to ship home, and then we have an area for items that stay here in Seattle. So we'll, we'll individually meet with each guy, say, listen, stuff going to spring goes here. Stuff staying here in Seattle goes above your locker. And the stuff you want me to ship home, you know, goes here. So it's kind of a three-part um, process. The process starts as soon as the last player leaves the locker room. Most will be on a flight home hours after the final out of the season. We'll spend pretty much all day Monday, all day Tuesday, and a little bit of Wednesday morning getting the stuff out. And then um, the rest of the week and into the following week, I'll st start doing inventory for 2019. We'll meet again. Don't know where, don't know where. Styles admits it's a bit melancholy and a big adjustment every year when the season does come to an end. After all, these guys have been together since spring training. When I come in here the following week and it's a ghost town, then, and it's quiet, then it's okay, and I get my paperwork done, and then I'm, I'm waiting for someone to come into my office or someone to be yelling my name. Like, Get over here, you know. And, but I don't hear it because it's quiet. And so, I was, so it's kind of a, you're at a standstill for a little while, but it is nice, but you, you get used to people yelling at you, <laughs> come do stuff. If Styles really wants someone to yell at him, longtime head groundskeeper Bob Christofferson is more than glad to oblige. After all, he and his crew will be around the ballpark most of the offseason as well. Uh, we're, we'll get ready for all of our winter activities. We've got some baseball games that are going to play on the field, and then we'll get ready for Enchant, which will take over the field for the month of December, and then we'll put a new field in. We've already started growing it, and we started that in May. So we're getting ready for next year. Uh, and I'm hoping the weatherman cooperates in uh, – late January, early February, and we can put the new grass in and get it ready for uh, an early start here. We open up with some exhibition games here. We actually have a college tournament on the field on the 1st of March, and then um, team comes home after we go to Japan and plays a couple exhibition games, and then we open the season. So it's kind of a, it's year-round for us. We had joy, we had fun, we had seasons in the sun, but the hills that we climbed 
seasons out of time. Still, there isn't a single person in the organization who wishes they wouldn't have to worry about the offseason for at least another couple of weeks. You hear from everybody, just wait until next year. Well, who knows about the team next year, but Safeco Field and its dedicated stewards will make sure everything is ready for 2019 and hopefully that long, elusive trip to the World Series. Turn out the lights. The part is over. In the meantime, this is your semi-humble and dedicated correspondent, Josh Kearns, saying so long, thanks for listening one last time from Safeco Field this season, reporting for the Mariners magazine. And tomorrow starts the same old thing again. Time now for the year that was. I feel glorious, glorious. Got a chance to start again. I was born Here's the pitch, the mitch. Swing and a drive. Deep to left field. Going, going. Goodbye baseball. A walk-off line drive. Two-run home run for Mitch Hattiger to win it. Swing and a drive. Deep to right center field. Smith to the one track to the wall. Goodbye baseball. A walk-off winner for Mitch Hattiger. He's unbelievable. Everything he does as a ball player, he is special. He is really special. We need to send him to D.C. fans. Really do. 2-2 pitch to Denard's man. Swing and a drive down the right field line. A fair ball into the corner. Rounding third, Romine. He'll score. Tie game. Gamble rounding third. Heading home. The throw cut off by Hope. Relay to the plate. Gamble slides. He's safe. The Mariners have the lead. Seven to six. I remember, you know, just kind of standing out there in between pitches, you know, you know, taking my breast sweater, but feeling that crowd and loving it. Uh, like I said, I've never been a part of anything like this, and it's, it's been a dream come true. I mean, this felt like a, a World Series game almost, man. It's only time in the, in the end of the first half yet, so uh, it was really cool, and uh, I'm just glad I could be a part of it. The 2-2. Swing, line drive. This game is over! Home run, Porch. Punch your ticket, Mike Zanino. We were sitting in the little video room, and I saw him. I was like, we're going to win this game. He was like, I know we are. Like, and that's just kind of the vibe. Um, we're never out of a game, so just keep bringing it. Right-handers, one-two on the way to Segura. Swinging a ground ball, fair inside the bag at first on the right field line. Gordon waved around third, heading home. He scores. Gene Segura with a walk-off single to win Swung it. on and drilled to right field. It is way back, way back, and gone. Nearly off the scoreboard. That was destroyed. Kyle Seeger, a two-run blast. And the Mariners have the lead. Ready's ready. Yeah, the right-handers 0-1 to Healy. Swinging a ground ball down the third baseline. Fair. Gets up down the left field line. Seager rounding third, waving his hand. He will score. The Mariners win it. Healy rounding third, being waved in by Brosis. He will score. Guillermo Heredia with a walk-off single. Mariners win it. Here comes the throw. The tag. Segura behind the back. And it gets Valbuena on the ankle. Mitch Hanniger doing it all tonight. The grit uh, to hang in there and fight through it. And there was not one person in our dugout thought for a second we are going to lose that ball game today. Um, and that's a really good feeling. Swing and a miss. He did it. 97 crackling right on by Smolinski. Down he goes. Strikeout number 16. A career high for James Paxton. 
They're on their feet here at Safe Gold Field. A standing ovation. James Paxton has just thrown a no-hitter. The big lefty is getting mobbed out of the mound. The Mariners sweep aside the Tampa Bay Rays in this three-game series. They win it 2-1 this afternoon. Right this moment, the Mariners are in first place in the American League West by themselves by a half game over the Houston Astros. Seems like it's pretty much the same way. Same way. <laughs> yeah. Late. Late, yeah. Big hit from somebody. Right. It's awesome. It's fun to watch. Freaking formula. Yeah. 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 Keep it close. Let him, let him take and it And the runner goes. Pitch on the way of ball. Zunino's throw down to second base. Wendell slides. He's out, and the ball game is over. Swung on. Laser down the left field line. That's a fair ball rolling to the corner. Around third base. Here comes Aradia. Segura into third. He's safe. Hanniger into second. He's safe. Clapping his hands together. Puts his thumbs in the air. Thumbs up for Hanniger as the Mariners have taken the lead. And the Mariners shut out the Boston Red Sox. One to nothing this afternoon here at Safe Gold Field. A combined two-hit shutout by Wade LeBlanc, the winner. Alex Colomay getting the final out in the eighth. And Edwin Diaz. This team is unbelievable. There is so much fight. Inning one through nine. Obviously, you know, night to day game, guys are maybe tired, dragging a little bit. This That was so special. You know, just battling every single one of the men on the roster today. That was unbelievable. That was fun to be a part of. And the right-hander delivers. Knuckleball swing and a high fly ball deep to left center field. Going and going. Goodbye baseball. Into the monster seats in left center field. Nelly Cruz with a three-run home run. His second home run of the night. Holy smokes, he now has seven RBIs of the ball game. It's now the Mariners 10 and the Red Sox 5. 2-0 pitch. Swing and a fly ball deep into right field. Rasmus going back, going back, looking up. Goodbye baseball. Kyle Seager ties it up here in the top of the ninth inning at 7-7 with his 15th home run of the year. He's a lot bigger than you think, but... Hey, we're, we're best friends, though, so that's what we do. Best friends give each other hugs, so that's what we're doing. <laughs> the pitch. Swing and a ground ball to short. Segura to his left. Underhand toss to D at second. In time to get Moustakis, and the ball game is over. The Mariners win it. 4-1 over Kansas City. Marco Gonzalez, oh, so close to the shutout, but he comes away with his first ever complete game. Pitch to Kinsler. He swings and... It's a fly ball, very playable out to right center field. Heredia is coasting over. Looks up, and he makes the catch. And Wade LeBlanc spins a beauty tonight. He goes seven innings, allows just one run, the home run by Simmons. LeBlanc in command since pitch number one. Yeah, that's a really neat moment. Um, guys that throw 86 don't really get <laughs> standing ovations very often. So uh, I definitely wanted to kind of take him in and, and show him my appreciation for it. Here's a 3-2. Swing and a ball hammer. Left field. Way back there. On its way. Out of here. Gene Segura. It's a three-run homer, and the American League has jumped on top. It is five to two. He got all of it. The 0-2 to Nelly. Swing and a line drive base hit into left center field. Segura, Ronnie third, being waved in by Scott Brocious. Up of the ball is Marisnik. The throw into second base. An RBI single for Nelson Cruz scores Gene Segura. The Mariners have a 3-0 lead. And as a team, the Mariners have hit for the cycle with the first four batters off of Justin Verlander here in the first. And it's a block. A, a block is called. 
a Bacchus goal, and that's the ball game. It's a walk-off Bach. A 1-1 to Vogelback on the way, swinging a drive, deep to right center field. Going, this one is gone. Goodbye, baseball. Grandma, get out the rye bread and mustard. It is grand salami time. Daniel Vogelback with a pinch hit. Grand salami here in the top of the eighth inning. Here's the windup and the 0-2 on the way. Swing and a miss, and he got him with a cutter in the dirt for strike three. And there it is. His 200th strikeout of the season. James Paxton gets it right away, striking out Jerickson Profar. Touch it, please. Now pitching for the Mariners, number 39, Edwin Diaz. Diaz ready. The pitch. Swing and a miss and a slider. Strike three. Diaz strikes out the side. Sugar with a save. How sweet it is. The Mariners have won seven in a row. They sweep the Royals in the three-game series. Strike three call. If the edge of the plate wasn't blocked before it is now, it is crispy. 98 mile per hour flames right over the corner, and that is the ball game. Edwin Diaz locks it down. His 38th save of the season, and the Mariners win it 3 to 2. Edwin Diaz with his 48th save of the season has just tied the Mariners club record. Number 49 on the year. Swing and a lift out to the gap in left center field. Span over, Hanniger over as well. Mitch leaps and he makes the catch on the warning track to end the ball game. And the Mariners escape the desert in game two in the 10th inning. Scott Service, you better get cozy up to that barber's chair. Eddie's Clippers are coming for you. His 50th save of the season. Number 52 on the season. Save number 56 on the year for Eddie Diaz. The stretch and the 2-2 to Profar. Swing and a miss. Strike three with a fastball. And he's done it. Sugar with a save. How sweet it is. His 57th save of the year. That ties him for second all-time in Major League history. Here they are, Scott Service and Jerry DePoto. When you look back on the season, do you look at it uh, as a team that won 89 games, and that's the true measure of the team, or one that was like eight games under 500 for the last three months? I mean, which is closer to, as you evaluate moving forward, which one are you kind of going on? Uh, I'll, I'll comment. For, for me, it's we failed to reach the goal. The goal was getting the postseason. That's how I look at the season. Uh, that being said, you know, overall uh, body of work, we did win 89 games. Uh, paper, um, you should feel good about it. You know, we did a lot of good things there, but how we got to 89 was, was pretty unique. Uh, from the unbelievable start and the ride we were on early, and the, you know, throughout the first half, and then, you know, the dip we took, uh, a hard nosedive, you know, for a period of time in the second half. So, uh, you know, kind of a tale of two seasons. Uh, but overall, you know, we didn't reach our goal, like I said, but. You know, 89 games is, you know, it's a positive year on paper, but ultimately not where we wanted to get to. I, I'd echo that, Larry. I, I think the what we can't lose sight of is that leaving spring training, if you would have told any of us that 89 wins was our outcome this year, regardless of how we were going to get there, we would have been thrilled. And so we picked a unique season in which 89 wins wasn't enough to get us to the postseason, which is been the exception rather than the rule since the two wild card format was adopted. So uh, you have all heard me talk about we've built this and with the intent of being sustainable. We want to be forward thinking. 
know, since since 2016, we've had the fifth best record in the American League. We are we are trapped behind four teams that have had extraordinary success, and we've not been able to to get over that last hump. But we've put very productive teams on the field. We've won games. Uh, we've found ways to to make ourselves in, in moments. Uh, Energized, entertaining, etc. Uh, now we have to figure out as we move forward what the, you know, what it takes for us to catch the front runners because we don't want to make it to a wild card game. We want to be a consistent playoff presence, and you know, for us to to get there and win, ultimately win a World Series, we're going to have to. Uh, just reassess where we are in the marketplace, and those meetings start now. Would you say that you found the core of the group that you want to build around? Uh, I think you know the, the the core. There's different ways of looking at it. We have a core that's been here um, for a while, and, and the core that you know a group that we inherited when Jerry and I came on board. And there's another group, you know, kind of adding and, and extending uh, to that core, and that's where the. You know, the Mitch Hanegers and the Marco Gonzalez's and the Edwin Diaz, you know, fit in. So, uh, you know, it takes a collective group. Um, again, uh, ultimately, we, we haven't reached our goal here. So in, in doing so, I think as you look at the team, we have meetings, you know, starting this morning, kind of what direction we want to head and, and where to go. You know, we may have to make a few changes uh, to get to the goal. And to Jerry's point, it's not just to make a wild card game. It's to get deep into the postseason and win a world championship. I, I really can't add much to that. We've we have added a number of young, controllable players with the intent that they become the, the next wave of, of core roster members, and I think they've proven that that we picked the right guys. And, and that is, we we watched some remarkable individual seasons this year from players who really didn't have a whole lot of track record in the big leagues. And not only from from younger, less experienced players like Mitch Haniger or you know even Edwin Diaz as a second or two plus player in this league, Marco Gonzalez in his first full season, but guys who've been around the game a little bit longer like Wade LeBlanc who who really broke out this year. And it's it's it was a remarkable season for those guys and our, our frankly our our core type players, our veteran players who'd been here for a number of years who are still in their late twenties. James Paxton, Gene Segura, excellent seasons for these guys. So, you know, did we did we ultimately reach our goal as a team? No, we didn't. Uh, did we have a season that I would consider highly productive? Yes, we did. And years from now, I'll look back on it, and I'll be disappointed with the way it finished. There's no question. But I'll, I'll also feel some degree of satisfaction in that we were able to put something on the field that is consistent with what we were trying to build. It just happened not to be enough. Jerry, because you guys you've mentioned this before, you sort of lack the prospect capital to make it easier to make trades. And because your roster is inherently getting older and you have some contracts uh, that you inherited that, that are probably immovable at this point, does it make sense or is it there, the reality is maybe you can move someone off that 25-man roster who, who is attracted to some other teams in order to make some changes? Anything's possible. Sure. Anything's possible. And we're just starting those meetings in, in terms of how we view this roster and what we want 2019 and beyond to look like. Every year, every roster is, is a new development. And, and we have to consider all the different possibilities with this one. We do have some guys that are, that are aging. Uh, we do have some guys that are just coming into their own. And I think that makes us like most every other team in the league. We just have to determine what our direction is. And a lot of our direction is going to be based on that, the core players that Scott mentioned. Uh, we do have a, a nice group of young, 
controllable players that we do intend to continue to build around. It's just a matter of where that happens, when it happens, and how it happens over the course of the next six or eight months. Jerry, we've bad and Scott about this quite a bit these last couple of weeks, but where do you think everything went south with the team? I mean, we've talked about run difference. We've talked about different things. Obviously, we saw the offense take a hit. Where do you think things started to go south with the team? Uh, right around the All-Star break, frankly. You know, we came out of the All-Star break, and uh, we had a terrific run right about through the 4th of July, and there's really no denying how much we struggled from that point on until we loosened up a little bit. I think we got tight, uh, frankly. I think we got a little bit too relaxed in the middle. Uh, and then when we saw that, that we had taken our foot off the gas for too long, it was almost impossible to get the car moving again. I, I don't think there's any one moment, one defining play, one defining game. It's a, it was a collective slump while the team behind us was playing roughly uh, unconscious baseball and they did some great things and we have to give credit where it's due it's it's positive to me to say that we won 89 games which is it probably equals or exceeds what our expectations could have or should have been uh, to know that it would have required 98 to get in the playoffs probably helps you sleep a little bit better <laughs> because that's not a particularly realistic goal now run differential I, I guess th my answer to that is at the point where we were cresting, we were a positive 30 or 35 run differential team. At that point, we went upside down. And it was a, it was a, a contribution from both sides. You know, our pitching was not as strong through, let's call it August and early September as it had been previously. Our offense did go through an extended slump. And particularly the back half of our lineup really went through a cold stretch. And it's, it's hard to play every night when you're trying to find some click moment we play in a game that requires multiple players to contribute to score runs, and we just had a tough time finding our, our sink. And unfortunately, that's how slumps occur, and we lived through one, and, and it cost us in this case. Jerry, Jerry, there's a lot of people who are advocating the tear it down strategy that so many teams are doing. I know you've resisted that in the past. I mean, is that something that's under consideration at all? Again, we have to consider all things. The The likelihood of ever really truly considering a, a tear it down model, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, that being said, there are a lot of alternatives to, to tear downs. You know, when I look at tear downs, it's everybody get out, we're starting over. That, that doesn't make a lot of sense because we just talked about so many positive elements of where our team is. Guys like Hanniger, guys like Marco Gonzalez, guys like Edwin Diaz. These are the pieces that you're trying to build around, not the pieces that you're trying to, to send away. So, you know, we, we want to be conscious of, of the fact that we have built up what we think is that next sustainable young core and build toward it. Those are guys who are all in their mid-20s. There's, there's no reason for us to, to start from scratch, but we do need to reassess where this roster is and take a look at not just 2019, but how we catch the teams that are in front of us. Because I don't think the Astros, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the, the Indians are going anywhere. And frankly, the Tampa Rays and, and Oakland A's just showed us that, that they're real. And we have to consider that. So in an American league where we're, we have had the fifth best record in this league over the last three years, and the teams right in front of us have all gone to the playoffs, and the teams right behind us have all gone to the playoffs. We've had crummy sequencing, <laughs> truth be told. And now we got to figure out how to sequence better. And, and it might be that we win on a more consistent basis. It might be that we restructure or reassess the way our roster looks. 
but I don't think you'll see a, a teardown. It doesn't make sense based on the talent we have. We're not talentless. We have a ton of talent. What about the opposite extreme, like really going heavily into the market to fill the holes that you can't fill from your prices? Again, I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. But I, it's not something we won't take part or, or consider in some way. Uh, it doesn't make sense because the four teams that are ahead of us are not ahead of us by a little, as we just saw. We won 89 games, and, and we're sitting here today. We were closer to 10 games back of the sixth best team, you know, or, or the fifth best team. That is, that is a challenge, and we have to consider that. So we're not a piece uh, away from, from making that type of move. And, and frankly, as we sit here, we have to assess where we are in terms of our age, our win curve, and, and what makes the most sense for us. These are obviously things you're discussing in these meetings and in all this offseason, but for you individually, what are your priorities when you this roster construction going to an Just for you, what you're looking at priority-wise. To, to build a roster that makes the most sense for the Mariners to win long-term and sustain. Scott, are you going to have any changes to your coaching staff? Uh, yeah, we, we met with uh, coaches this morning. Um, Mel Stottlemyre will, will not be back. Uh, with us, we're going to go a different direction there. Um, all the other guys uh, were been invited to come back. Um, so, again, uh, you know, Mel's been with me uh, here since I got the job uh, for the last three years. Uh, very close relationship with Mel. I just thought, you know, where we're at uh, currently um, and where we want to go forward, you know, just go uh, a different voice and, and go in a different direction there. Three guys working there. Do you expect to stay with that kind of model? Or? It could get adjusted. Don't have a, a clear blueprint right now. Uh, I will say that uh, you know all three guys. You know they, they brought a lot to the table. I think it was one of the main reasons we got as much out of our pitching this year as we did. Um, and, and you know certainly had guys step up. You know with what we got out of Wade LeBlanc and, and Marco moving forward. And packs had highlights throughout the season. And, you know, Mike Leake, very consistent, you know, for the most part throughout the year. And all three of those guys played a, a hand in that, uh, along with some guys in the bullpen, uh, no question. So um, I like the model, so to speak. Um, you know, I think we can, get, uh, we can get even better in that regard and getting information, you know, to our players and, and working with the group upstairs, our analytical department, to make sure we're all in sync uh, to getting the most out of each and every one. So, uh, you know, the model, I think, it has a lot of merit. I don't have the blueprint for what seats all the guys are going to be in yet, but I do like them all. Jerry, are you going to have, I know you've staffed your, some of your scouting guys, some of your FOO guys, and moves stuff around. Are you, are you expecting more changes to your front office group, your baseball office group, that would be significant or noticeable to the fans? None that I can think of. Uh, we are, we're fairly built out. We made very little in the way of change uh, organizationally. We did make some significant change in our pro scouting rank. But uh, beyond that, there's, I feel like we have really good people. And we, have, we have talented, creative, hardworking people that have made a huge difference. And, and I think outside of our 89-win season, of the three years that I've been here with the Mariners, this is, this is the single most productive year that we have had or efficient year that we have had as, as an office group, as a baseball family. And... I, I couldn't be prouder of, of what Andy and the group in player development are doing. I couldn't be prouder of the advances that we've made uh, on the scouting side with Tom Allison, with Scott Hunter, adding Frankie Thon, uh, who we feel like is going to be a difference maker in, in that world. 
and some of the, the unique developments that have taken place. We're, we're doing creative things that I feel like are going to give us an advantage in the marketplace as we continue to mature as a group. Are you proceeding with We're a long ways away from opening day, there's no question. Uh, yeah, at this point, uh, I would see him in, in the starting rotation. But again, a lot of things happen between now and then. So are there any players that are off limits in terms of moving uh, Was that direction toward? I don't think there's ever a player that's off limits. That's, that's the way you operate. It's a, we are always listening. We are always considering. We are always assessing the best way to do uh, the job we're trying to do, which is to build a championship roster. And if you limit to yourself to only thinking about one player, five players, or ten players, you're, we're thinking about every player in our system. Which, to, you know, to Corey's point earlier, there's, it, you can make trades, you can sign free agents, you can you can bring players in from worldwide sources, and and you have to be able to attack in the moment or be efficient and opportunistic in that moment when it presents itself. And if you limit yourself to not talking about certain players, you'll never get there. Scott, what was your message to Robbie about where you view him defensively going forward? Uh, again, you know, the roster and where we're at right now, it's a long ways away from opening day. Uh, I think it's important to see where we're at at that point um, and see where he fits best. You know, it's about the team and trying to put the best team out there to get a chance to win the most games. So we'll see how, see how it breaks out here this offseason. Do you have some, some, you know, you have some free agents coming up. Obviously, Nelson is a guy Scott has lobbied for, players have lobbied for. Uh, does that affect how you do everything else with your roster because of how the flexibility of having a full-time DH? How do you proceed going forward? To, to answer the first question, certainly. You know, every player creates a context that affects the next decision. So, you know, anytime you add a fixed piece, it changes what's happening around that, that, that player. So in this case, it absolutely does. Uh, those decisions have yet to be made. We're, we're looking at all of the different possibilities and potentials, and we won't know. Because just in that, in that right now, it appears that there's a very clear need at DH, and we all know and love Nelson. We have to consider what comes next and the different creative ways that, that a roster might come together. But we'll never close the door on considering anything, uh, up to and including bringing him back. You know? And again, I think Nelly would like to be back, but I'm sure that he is considering his options as well. You have to find a spot for D and let him stick with it. Uh, and wanted to do that this year. Uh, again, you know, we, we did want to do that this year. When we acquired him, we asked him to move to center field, and, and I thought he did yeoman's work without really having a whole lot of experience, to, which is to say he had none. And, and he did what we asked him to do because that's what good teammates do. And when we asked him to move in and play second base, he did that too because that's what good teammates do. And at the, at the end of the day, we're going to have to assess what fits with this roster. And as Scott just alluded to when talking about where Robbie plays or whether we bring back Nelson, it, a lot of it is going to be judged by what the roster looks like as we go through the offseason. You know, so many different things could happen from trades to free agent signings, etc that we can't pin ourselves into one single idea or building around one single player. We have to take more of a broad view of our roster than that. Jerry, if the teardown doesn't make sense, is there consideration to a step back? Maybe something two years out or along those lines? Sure. I mean, it, uh, it, that has to be a consideration. 
we are, you know, our goal is to win the World Series as soon as we can. And, you know, if, if we're not going to win it in 2018, then our goal, starting with meetings this morning and as we move forward, are to determine what our best timeline is. And when we determine what a timeline looks like, what we're doing is we're looking at what we think the, the core of a championship team looks like uh, within our player base. And their ages mean a lot. You're trying to build around a general age group. You don't see a lot of teams win championships with, with, a, a, with a group of players that are either far north in the age of the, the center or far south of the age in the center. You're going to have a few on the, on the coasts, but most of the guys live in the middle of the country, so to speak, and they're usually between 25 and 30 years old. That's, a, that, that's the, the, the line for us. We're looking at that 25 to 30-year-old group and trying to determine how many of them form the core of a championship team. And then looking at the teams around us, how realistic is it that we can build a team around that group to compete with the teams ahead of us? And it has to be a consideration. This could be a question just for both of you, but I mean, first half, one of the highlights I've seen was this team chemistry you guys had. It was so right and high. And the second half just seemed like one of the low lights that some things started to do you guys see as the things from the losing chain reaction to some of the chemistry issues, or do you see the other way around that maybe that's a concern that some of the chemistry issues produce some of the losing? How would you look at it? Well, we certainly uh, faced some uh, adversity early in the season uh, with the, the situation with Robinson Cano getting suspended, and uh, you know I really was uh, proud of our guys that we stepped up, we took on the challenge, and we had a very very strong belief uh, in our clubhouse that we could overcome the adversity that was was thrown upon us. Um, you know. We played at a very high level for a long time, and we were winning games because we had an unbelievable closer, <laughs> and we were winning, you know, the extra inning games and all the tight games late. It was really exciting, and uh, you know, as we got into the second half, um, and we weren't performing uh, at the same level, and and guys pressing a little bit, and maybe trying, you know, to get the big hit or to get it turned around, um, and then you know, the frustration set in. Uh, things are starting to slip away from you, and. And uh, you know, I've been on all kinds of teams in my lives, and it's uh, you know guys handle it differently. Um, I think you know the frustration, like I said, did set in, and you saw some guys, you know, react because of it. So um, chemistry is really important. You know, what comes first, the winning and then the chemistry, or the chemistry and then the winning? I mean, it's an age-old question. Uh, for me, I, I saw uh, I saw it on both sides of the spectrum. You see how good it can be. When guys are, are free and believe in themselves and really hit an opportunity to rise up, and then you know how frustrating it could be. And some guys handled it better than others. There's no question about it. Do you believe that a lot of that, the mental stress that was put on the players in the first half of the season led to the essentially fatigue towards the, the later half of the year? What mental stress are you uh, well, referring to? One run games put a lot of stress on a player. Um, that when you're winning them, there's no greater feeling. That's not stressful. <laughs> That's no stress. Yeah, yeah. euphoric. Uh, you're excited. You can't wait to get the ballpark the next day and figure out how you're going to win that night's game. And knowing in the sixth, seventh inning when you're down by a couple runs, we'll figure out a way. You know, it's contagious. It's awesome. It really is. So I don't look at that as, as mental stress or taking a lot out of our guys. Uh, I, I just don't look at it that way. And what do you attribute the, the essential – we didn't hit. It's hard to win when you don't score many runs. And we leaned on our pitching very, very heavily through the first half. And quite frankly, our pitching was, was carrying us for a long time. We were scoring enough runs uh, to get through. And we cooled off offensively. Um, I mean, it was
was really, really tough every night when you're putting up one or two runs. And you know, you might bust out and get five one night, and then we come right back and, and didn't do a whole lot after that because you know, the, the length of our lineup, um, certainly some of the guys struggling to get consistent, to get on base, uh, it became an issue. You have to control the zone philosophy, but you had guys under 300 OBPs several in a row. How do you get back to that? Some of this was anomaly for some guys. Some of it was, you know, we've kind of seen that. Can you build it within these guys, or do you have to get different pieces? Well, I, I think with one exception, it's the first time that's happened to any of those guys. It just happened to them at the same time. Uh, and by them, I mean Ryan Healy and Dee Gordon and Mike Zanino and Kyle Seeger. It's it's a bit anomalous that, that that happened to all of them at the same time, considering only one of them had ever done it even once before. So... Uh, that I'm going to write off to uh, an unusual circumstance. None of those players are old. None of those players are incapable of rebounding. And, and like Scotty said, uh, all of those players, ha I guess, there's not a single player that I've ever come across in my, in my career, and I've been doing this a fair bit of time, that, that isn't trying. But oftentimes what you'll see, and this is to, to TJ's comment earlier, what you'll see is when teams don't score, it looks like they're fatigued. It looks like there's no energy. It looks like they stopped trying. There's, when they don't hit, it's really hard to look active because there's nobody on base. And you know, generally speaking, what I think you saw with our guys is once they started going down the rabbit hole, they just kept burrowing and they got themselves in deeper. And, and then you're trying to hit the six run homer or, or steal four bases at once. And, and it really snowballed, especially for the back end of our lineup. And, you know, I think they're better than that. They have histories that suggest they're better than that. And each of those guys I just named, in particular, Kyle Seeger and Dee Gordon, uh, these, these, by the standards of, of wins above replacement, Dee Gordon was a three-plus win player just last season. Kyle Seeger is one year removed from being one of the 10 most valuable players in the American League for the last half a dozen years. So it's a, I don't think their careers came to a screeching halt. They got in a bad slump and they followed it down the rabbit hole. And now we've got to figure out a way to, to help them back. And none of them stopped trying. They were all probably trying a little too hard. But to the control of the zone question, we are about controlling the zone. We actually did achieve what we wanted to achieve. We just did it in a different way. We threw a ton of strikes. So, you know, we had, by, by the way we measure control the zone, we, as I said, as far back as 2015, it's not a mandate to walk. It's a mandate to control the line of scrimmage, and we work together. So when we understand, and we knew going into this season that we had a handful of players who aren't predisposed to walking, so the way we, were, we offset that is to, is to acquire a number of pitchers who pound the strike zone and control the line of scrimmage in that way. You know, if your passing game doesn't work, run the ball. So, you know, we, we never anticipated, and this one's on me, we never anticipated that we would have that kind of cave-in in terms of the ability to get on base. But through, through the end of June, I think we were fifth in the American League in runs scored. And then somehow by the time we got to September 1st, we were 12th. And, and that is a very hard fall and quite unexpected. And I really don't think we could bring the same lineup of players back, and I think the result would be very different. I think so. Yes, it starts with a you know, a mindset and approach. You know, our swing decisions got to get better. There's no question. Obviously, some guys have never walked in their career. D has never been one, but it's still got to get better. Swing decisions have to get better. 
Um, it just with the information and data that's out there nowadays, everybody knows. <laughs> There's no secrets in how they're going to approach you and how they're going to attack you. Um, so I do think we can get better. Were those guys unlucky a little bit too, Scott? I mean, the batting average on balls in play compared to where they've been throughout their career, not just last year, but looking at a good sample size, it, it wasn't just a tick off with a few guys. It was yeah, there, there was some guys affected. D. Gordon was affected by it. There's no question. But keep in mind, he ran his Babbitt at a very, very high number. Well, the ground balls, and he could run, you know, run running hits out of the box. It always helped him along. Uh, I think you know Kyle Seager was affected, no doubt. I think with the shift and how it's taken a number of hits away from him, uh, those are probably the most two uh, affected guys that we had. But again, you know, is, is it luck, unluck? Is there change in their approach, their swing? You have to look at all those things. At some point in the season, it's possible. Uh, and by, I would say, the three guys that are likely to be on our horizon, and it could be sometime in the, the latter part of, of next year uh, or early season 2020, no certain order, Evan White, Kyle Lewis, uh, Braden Bishop. We feel like a, a healthy Braden Bishop has a chance to be something on this team. And we do like the the upside potential in, in Daniel Vogelbach's bat, and we want to give him an opportunity to play. We just have to figure out where that is and how that is, and a lot of that is going to be defined by the roster around him. But we we don't have any more time to wait. Now is our time to figure it out, and and I hope we're able to carve out a way to do that. The update on Tuivasa and Hasio, and did anybody else require an offseason surgery? No one I'm aware. Uh, but I can't say that for certain. Uh, Juan Nicasio is actually rehabbing. He's already in a throwing program and, and doing quite well. Uh, to, to Corey's point, and this one I believe is factual, it's, it's accurate, of pitchers who appeared in 40 or more games or through 40 or more innings in a major league season, Juan Nicasio just became the second most unlucky pitcher of all time when counting his, his uh, fielding independent ERA from his, his regular ERA. Only Chad Qualls in 2010 was uh, was more unlucky than Juan Nicasio this year. Really weird year for Juan. Uh, again, skill set remains the same. High strikeouts, low walks. There's no reason to believe he won't rebound. Bad, batted ball luck. Similarly with uh, with the rest of our, you know, David Phelps is a free agent, but Phelpsy is should be ready to go day one of spring training. And Sam Tuiviala, we're probably looking a little more toward June of next year before, you know, he, he suffered a really uh, difficult injury to overcome. The, the Achilles on the back leg where, where he has to push off to create his momentum to, to home plate is, is probably going to be a little bit more difficult for him to rehab than, than it would be for, say, a position player. So, you know, we're, we're going to be a little bit on the, the air on the side of caution with that one. But Sam's a young guy. Unfortunately, there was a, a still four years of control that came with him. So we don't anticipate he's leaving the organization anytime soon. But we may not see him until the middle of next season. You're counting on Nikazu to be ready next year. Yeah. yeah, Juan should be, Juan should be ready to go yeah, at some point this winter if we wanted him to pick up an inning or two. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's recovering very nicely. Uh, we still haven't really discussed Denard's situation yet. Uh, he did a wonderful job for us, and more important, one of the best people I've come across in the game. So prepared, so consistent in what he does, and he really made our lineup work. 
and you know some of the guys that we have hitting free agency, um, Denard Span, Nelson Cruz, the, the quality of the people exceeds the quality of the player, and they're really good players. But I thought Denard Span, Nelson Cruz, and Mitch Haniger at a time where our lineup was really spiraling, that those three guys generally remained so consistent and, and helped the, the runs we were able to score generally happened because of what they were doing night in and night out. They were able to keep that lineup moving and give other guys an opportunity. And, and then it was not required that we have six guys clicking because those three guys were generally so consistent. From a logistical standpoint, what happens with this special assistant to the chairman? There's, I know he's going to hit home runs in BP. Yeah, I don't know how this works. Like, does, you know, for next year and beyond, I don't know how this job Ichi will be in spring training with us. He'll, he'll be in spring training with us, and, and we're going to give him an opportunity as both a, a coaching presence and a player presence. And we're still a long way off of opening day next year, but there's, you will see Ichiro taking at bats in Peoria, and, and our, we will assess we are, where we are at that time. But don't be surprised if you see him running around out there when we get to Tokyo next year early in the season. It breaks your heart. It's designed to break your heart. The game begins in the spring when everything else begins again, and it blossoms in the summer, filling the afternoons and evenings, and then as soon as the chill rains come, it stops and leaves you to face the fall alone. You count on it, Rely on it to buffer the passage of time, to keep the memory of sunshine and high skies alive. And then just when the days are all twilight, when you need it most, it stops. Today, October the 2nd, a Sunday of rain and broken branches and leaf-clogged drains and slick streets, it stopped. And summer was gone. Somehow, the summer seemed to slip by faster this time. Maybe it wasn't this summer, but all the summers that in this my 40th summer slipped by so fast. There comes a time when every summer will have something of autumn about it. Whatever the reason, it seemed to me that I was investing more and more in baseball, making the game do more of the work that keeps time fat and slow and lazy. I was counting on the game's deep patterns, three strikes, three outs, three times three innings, and its deepest impulse to go out and back to leave and to return home, to set the order of the day and to organize the daylight. I wrote a few things this last summer, this summer that did not last, nothing grand, but some things and yet that work was just camouflage. The real activity was done with the radio, not the all-seeing, all-falsifying television, and was the playing of the game in the only place it will last, the enclosed green field of the mind, there in that warm, bright place, what the old poet called mutability does not so quickly come. See you later!